0: Of God, just like when we first meet someone, the most powerful moment is the one where we hear them speak. Hear now as God speaks from his word. Today's first passage comes from Exodus 31:1 through 18. Hear the word of the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones for setting, and in carving wood, to work in every craft. And behold, I have appointed with him Aholiab, the son of Ahisamach, of the tribe of Dan, and I have given to all able men ability, that they may make all that I have commanded you. The tent of meeting, and the ark of the testimony, and the mercy seat that is on it, and all the furnishings of the tent, the table and its utensils, and the pure lampstand with all its utensils, and the altar of incense, and the altar of burnt offering with all its utensils, and the basin and its stand and the finely worked garments, the holy garments for Aaron the priest, and the garments of his sons for their service as priests, and the anointing oil, and the fragrant incense for the holy place. According to all that I have commanded you, they shall do. And the Lord said to Moses, You are to speak to the people of Israel and say, Above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths. For this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. You shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall be put to death. Therefore the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. And he gave to Moses when he had finished speaking with him on Mount Sinai, the two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone, written with the finger of God. Our second passage is in 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 31. Hear the word of the Lord. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, So it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. Third, teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Well, good morning again. It is good to see each of you. Uh, I was gone all this last week. I had a class in Portland, and so uh, it feels really good to be back. Um, Pastor Eric is gone. He uh, was at uh, General Assembly, uh, just our annual meeting uh, of the Presbyteries uh, out in Denver this year. So um, so he'll be back next week. Uh, all is well, but uh, he asked me to cover for him, so uh, that is what I'm doing. So uh yeah pacific northwest is gorgeous although uh it was it was just kind of gloomy all my time there so no rain uh not warm so yeah i feel like i didn't get the best of it but um in portland uh, it was interesting just it was like a really big small town everybody was friendly there and everybody seemed to know each other uh it's kind of neat so uh but today we are continuing our series in exodus and we pick up in chapter 31 uh this is a wonderful chapter that offers us uh, tremendous encouragement uh as well as a pretty tough challenge uh and so you know the the passage starts off with some encouragement so we'll start there as well um but uh yeah so we've got that first part there uh verses uh <clears throat> 1 through 12 uh or sorry 1 through 11 and uh you know the first half of our passage is probably not difficult to understand generally um but it might seem odd to some of our preconceived notions of of what uh, spiritual gifts are and, and why they why why they exist. Uh, we see God talking with Moses telling him that he had one chosen someone two chosen someone specifically three had filled him with his spirit and four had filled him with his spirit for a specific purpose so there's you know a lot of specific things going on you know and, and what is this purpose that that God has uh, it's building the tabernacle uh, pastor Eric last week preached on that and just talked about what the tabernacle was but in case you have forgotten or weren't here uh, it's a very uh, important structure theologically I mean this is the place uh, that uh, that God is going to dwell with his people we've talked in the past about uh, how mankind struggles with sin you know we are inherently sinful Uh, and God is inherently holy and perfect, and so uh, there needs to be something that that happens. Otherwise, this perfect God cannot hang out with us sinners, and so God's solution to this problem is to create the tabernacle, a place that uh, the people could cleanse themselves, and that he'd be able to stay at a safe enough distance, um, but that he would still be able to physically dwell with his people. So it's a really big task. I mean, this is Uh, This is a big deal, right? I mean, God has not really dwelled with his people since Adam and the garden. Uh, So the fact that God is uh, having them build this should signify quite a bit. He wants to be physically present with his people. And this had to be extremely exciting to the Israelites. Uh, Yeah, Pastor Eric went over some of the preparation for the tabernacle that God commanded last week. uh, But that passage mostly dealt with the what's. Uh, of the project whereas uh, our chapter today deals with the house and so that's where we have bezalel God uh, god handpicked him uh, this man from the tribe of judah we don't have the details of god's logic as to why he chose this person uh, but we do know that god desired no one else for this task he had chosen bezalel and that's who he was going to use for this and so he was also given a uh, as an assistant as well as a team of workers uh, under them, all of whom were given the ability to carry out this task. They were filled with the spirit of God and given the wisdom and skill and knowledge, uh, et cetera, to be able to perfectly execute God's very meticulous uh, plan, uh, these instructions. And there were a lot of things going on with the tabernacle, as if you were here last week, as you heard, there was just so many things. Pastor Eric looked over uh, Five or six chapters just of details of how the tabernacle was supposed to be built. And so these guys were the ones that were going to carry that out. They needed to be able to work well as a carpenter. uh, Somebody who could work with gemstones. They needed to be able to cut those stones and and cut them perfectly. Uh, They also had to work with fabrics. I mean, they had to put together and weave these uh, significant things together. So this had a lot of detail and a lot of work was involved in it. And so from that, we can have a few takeaways. Uh, first off, God chose his servant to accomplish this task uh, when he could have chosen anyone. It could have been anyone that God chose, but he chose uh, Bezalel and his assistant Oholiab, as well as their team of construction workers under them. They were the project managers. Second, God enabled them to complete the task. Uh, God... Uh, You know, he didn't list all of these instructions and then leave them to themselves. They, you know, they actually had the ability to to do these things. God had given them his spirit. And he gave them the necessary skills and abilities to do that alongside that. Now, many of you may be sitting here today doubting in some way uh, (laughs) uh, one of the things present in this passage. I think there are three common doubts. Uh, that the saints, you guys, uh, experience one or more of, all right, we doubt that God has actually called us, or we believe the calling, but we doubt that God has given us the ability to do the things that he has called us to, or third, we doubt that our calling actually matters, that that we're actually doing significant work, you know, we, we think that there are more essential gifts out there, that, that the gifts that God has given us just don't really matter, um. let me address those briefly in order to gain a more proper understanding uh, of our gifts that will hopefully encourage all of you. The first objection, has God actually called you? Yes. Now, I don't necessarily know what he has called you to uh, specifically, but God has made a general call for all of his people. Many of us are familiar with the Great Commission in Matthew 28, where Jesus calls all of his followers to make disciples of all nations. Okay, that is something for all of us. You know, do I have a calling? You bet you do, okay? It's a pretty big one. It's Matthew 28, that's the last thing that Jesus leaves us with. Uh, and so, you know, it's not a job just for those serving in full-time ministry. Uh, I think some of us get in the habit of, you know, we look at those who work in the church, and we say, yeah, you know, they're the ones supposed to be doing that. It's actually uh, pretty much, uh, yeah, pretty much the reverse. We were called to equip you to do that. So... Uh, so, you know, if you are someone who professes in the name of Christ, you have this task. You have this job to do, to go and to reach the nations for Christ. You have a tremendous purpose. Uh, Jesus calls us a light, light to the world in Matthew 5. So how God wants you to do that can be trickier to figure out. Uh, and that's, a, that's another topic for another day. But make no mistake that he does want you to do it. Objection two. Maybe you know that God has called you to a particular work in your life but you simply cannot see how you could accomplish this. Now, I don't want to dismiss the feeling of inadequacy. Admittedly, it's one I feel often, so I understand emotionally uh, why we would be hesitant with that. However, I don't think you need me to tell you that God is the one working uh, and that you are merely a vessel, as we see in Romans 9. I also likely don't need to tell you that God has used all sorts of people in special, awesome ways, that they were pretty ordinary people now logically we know these things okay we can look at scripture and it's pretty hard to get away from that idea but emotionally you know we don't we don't really get there ourselves we saw in our series in jonah how god used jonah's obstinance uh, to reach people for christ people who otherwise would not have he was actively rebelling against god and yet he ended up accomplishing the task that god had given him why because it was god doing it all along it wasn't jonah it was never about jonah it was about god working through jonah additionally we see in this passage in exodus that god himself filled them with his spirit he is actively involved in this process he doesn't leave us uh, to fend for ourselves we know that he gives us all that we need to get things done as christians we're told that the holy spirit dwells within us there are a number of ways in which the spirit aids us Uh, like being made more holy and comforting us, as we see in John 14. But perhaps one of the greatest reasons is to gain the ability to carry out that great commission in Matthew 28. As I've said, logically we understand this, but emotionally we continue to struggle. We doubt ourselves and we doubt God. Well, stop doubting God. I know that's easy to say, but name one story in the Bible where somebody who doubted God and his ability is to use that person wasn't proven foolish it just doesn't exist so don't be a fool or else mr t and i are gonna have to pity you so instead if you need help getting from a place where you logically understand it but need to get to a place where you emotionally understand this and and trust that god knows what he's doing i would try this start journaling every time you felt like god has used you in the past or maybe you, uh, today, you know, you, you have a, a moment where you feel like God has used you. Write it down. And then, you know, over the course of, you know, a few months or whatever, you end up getting to a place of where you can look at that generally and say, okay, I saw how God used me here. I saw how God used me there. So whatever this new thing is that you feel God is calling you to, you can look back at the past and say, all right, I can trust him. Maybe you really don't see uh, how God is using you. Well, you know, start looking at other people that you feel are pretty ordinary people, but you 've seen God work in their lives that can that can be pretty powerful to to begin to to build up trust in the lord and you can use a dummy like me if you want uh, if you want to write down me as an example. use whatever is going to help you trust God and and what uh, what he's uh, yeah use it to to trust God and and to motivate you to carry out this thing that, that god has called you to ultimately though it will require you to take that first step objection three maybe you feel like your gifts don't matter or your calling doesn't start by asking you what you think the important gifts are uh, that christians are generally called to pastors missionaries what are the skills or gifts needed for that We can look at the lists given throughout the New Testament, but you'll find something interesting if you do a close study of them. Each list is a little different, which means that the lists that we see in places like Romans 12, 1 Peter 4, Ephesians 4, and uh, today's passage in uh, 1 Corinthians 12, are probably not exhaustive. If they're not the same everywhere, then probably there's some things that are left out. They don't always contain the same gifts, and uh, some are uh, less gifts. And more skills or even attitudes, Uh, you know, like think about uh, teaching, for example. I mean, it's an ability, certainly, uh, but what about hospitality? That's not really a skill or an ability. I mean, that's in the truest sense, at least. That's uh, certainly not a, uh, it's not an ability in the truest sense, but it certainly is a gift that not all of us possess. You know, we know people who are truly hospitable Uh, And and we understand that, oh man, like I definitely don't have that. Uh, The gift of service is clearly an attitude as well, but also sort of presumes that there is some skill that goes with that. Uh, We need to change how we think about spiritual gifts because it's not. uh, A spiritual gift is any skill or ability given by God to a believer uh, with intent to be used to accomplish his purposes. And that would include vocational abilities, Said another way, a gift should be considered spiritual when God has a purpose for it. Not uh, necessarily one that you look at and say, oh, that's a spiritual purpose or a non-spiritual purpose. It should be considered a spiritual gift when it's used for the church. Is that a surprise to you? I don't know if you've ever thought about them in that way. But how else would we read this chapter in Exodus 31? Uh, Some of you may think that pastoral gifts and abilities are sort of the creme de la creme, uh, but it wasn't Moses building the tabernacle. It wasn't Aaron either. Those are the priests. It's not who got asked to do it. It was Bezalel and Aholiath, men who possessed skilled labor. They had to work with metal, wood, fabric, etc. They had to follow very detailed instructions on a project that had huge theological and religious significance. These gifts were crucial for the people of Israel connecting with God, not to mention that many of the religious ceremonies couldn't take place unless there was a tabernacle. And they had a place; they had to have a place to do it, which means that the priests were actually dependent on these laborers. As we see in 1 Corinthians, no member of the body matters more than another. I wanted to spend more time on this, but I ran out of time. So uh, just generally, Paul breaks it down showing how ridiculous it is for us uh, to think of one body part as more essential than another so why do we do that why do we look at one gift and say "Nah, that one's not as good or or maybe you're uh, a little lacking in self-confidence you look at another person's gift you're like oh man any gift that i have is just useless compared to that why do we look down on these gifts if they're really given from god then what are we doing to god what are we saying about god when we when we look down on them The truth is, I think, because we equate with what is public and glorious with greatness, not necessarily uh, the way that God views it. Really, though, we ought to understand that each job has its place and its function, and it's crucial for the overall function of the body. Some are more public and glorious, yes, but each gifting serves that critical purpose. Kish, for example, we have an entire buildings and grounds committee here. These are people that often don't get any recognition. They put in long hours, and uh, you know, I guarantee you that if they didn't exist, though, that you'd notice that, uh, that somebody's not doing their job. Lights are being replaced, various repairs of all types, maintenance. You know, there's a long list of things to do of a building this size. And all these things are done so that on Sunday mornings when we come here, everything's in place. It's ready to go. If you notice, the church is also clean for us each Sunday. Uh, Kids are often oblivious how a house stays clean, but we know we have to put in the work to make it happen. Uh, And yet, in the same way, I think sometimes we act as kids, you know, that we have people here working to keep it clean. Uh, Dot and Earl, they spend hours each week cleaning up the church and keeping it tidy. Uh, It's summer, so I can't tell you how frequently I see Earl out mowing the grass because we have a huge property here. Uh, It's like, man, all the time he's out there. And they're using the skills that God gave them. That he enabled them uh, to use for this uh, for these tasks, uh, and so uh, Calvin once said that uh, that we end up glorifying God when we use our gifts to the best uh, of our abilities. So to quickly recap, we have all gifts. We all have gifts of different types. They all matter, and we all have a job to do with those God given abilities. It might seem strange then that the next part of Exodus thirty one. Uh, deals with the sabbath why would we go from that to here well if you were here during the 10 Commandments series that pastor eric preached through uh you were likely here when we preached on the fourth commandment that we are to honor the sabbath so that was a couple months ago so check up time how have we been doing with that okay are we keeping it holy as it commands us to Some of you perhaps felt convicted by that sermon, uh, but because it was only one sermon, managed to kind of escape those feelings of conviction, and you're happy, like, okay, I don't have to feel guilty anymore. Thought that was the end of it. You know, we're reading today's passage. You're feeling good and safe, and then you get to verse 12 about the Sabbath, and you're like, oh. And then we get to verse 14 about the death penalty for breaking the Sabbath, and you really start sweating, all right? (laughs) No. Now listen, you have nothing to worry about. So long as you have perfectly kept the Sabbath, no harm will come to you, all right? But if you have broken the Sabbath, that bear looks pretty hungry, so. Now, I'm joking, of course, but you probably are wondering about the death penalty, and I promise you we'll get to that verse a little bit. But first, why is the Exodus covering the Sabbath again? I thought we already did this. Well, for starters, the Sabbath is pretty important. Looking at the text, it gives us a few reasons for why it is important. Number one, the Sabbath is a sign of the covenant between us and God. Two, that it sanctifies us. It literally makes us more holy. And three, because it is holy for us. Perhaps none of those reasons would have been the first ones that come to your mind if somebody asked you why, why does the Sabbath matter. But these are the ones that God gives the Israelites here. As before, let's break these down. First, what does it mean that the Sabbath, that this dedicated day of rest and worship was a sign between God and his people? Well, the other signs that we have uh, up to this point are the rainbow, circumcision, and the table of the bread of the presence of the Lord. It's a long name for the last one, but the rainbow was given to Noah and his descendants and symbolized that God would never again flood the, the world, but to delay the judgment that we deserve, until God has provided a means of salvation for the world. It's a symbol of mercy and of hope. Circumcision was a sign that the Israelites belonged to God. This was a physical outward mark, signifying that they were God's people and that they belonged in community with one another. We would understand baptism in a very similar sense. The table of the presence of the I'm sorry, the table of the bread of the presence of the Lord was used as a symbol of fellowship with God, something we now look to communion for. So what is the Sabbath signifying? That we have rest in God. We saw back in Exodus 20 when Pastor Eric preached that God actually brought it back to creation. He said we are to keep the Sabbath because God rested on the seventh day and made it holy. But here we're told to uh, to keep it holy because it is a sign of the covenant that they have with God. This divinely commanded rest marks God's people as distinct from the rest of the world. In the ancient Near Eastern world, where the Israelites were... There doesn't seem to be be much evidence that anybody practiced anything like the Sabbath, and people have tried. The Israelites taking an entire day off, uh, you know, while everyone else is working, it stood out. People recognized this. They noticed it. They would be considered a bunch of weirdos, a bunch of fools. That should cause us, I think, to ponder then what our relationship is with the Sabbath, as well as what the relationship communicates to the world. Perhaps keeping the Sabbath seems on to you. In fairness, it probably should. It is a weird thing to do. Uh, We live in a culture that says, you know, another dollar, another day, another dollar. And so we spend so much time, you know, pursuing all those things. And yet God commands that the Israelites rest. And pay attention to the fact that he reiterates this command after he tells them that they need to build this tabernacle. He doesn't say, oh, hey, here's this huge thing that we've got, this huge theological, uh, theologically important task, you know, so uh, for now we're going to suspend the Sabbath because we got to get this done. No, that's not what he says. In fact, he doubles down on the Sabbath and he says, I'm going to kill you if you don't follow it. We laugh, but we should take this a little more seriously, right? I mean, you know, this is this is big stuff. And yet God wants us to rest even that building the tabernacle was not more important than that task that he had for them what are we so busy with to ignore this command of god what do we have going on so clearly the sabbath was important but again why well let's look at isaiah 58 13 through 14 i read it out loud here if you turn back your foot from the sabbath from doing your pleasure on my holy day And call the Sabbath a delight, and the holy day of the Lord honorable. If you honor it, not going your own ways, or seeking your own pleasure, or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord. And I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Now we see from this verse two major ideas. First, the Sabbath is a test of your devotion to the Lord, and that in keeping it, God will bless you. And now that first part is actually probably what's in play here uh, in the passage in Exodus uh, when we're talking about the death penalty. Okay? To profane the Sabbath uh, was to be an act of open rebellion okay? and defiance against the Lord. And to quickly note on that, okay, notice too that it says that, uh, that somebody who breaks the Sabbath will be cut off from his people. So there does seem to be some indication that it's not necessarily always a death penalty, um, but we do have some case law uh, in Deuteronomy of some guy bundling sticks on the Sabbath, and uh, and a big part of that story is they, they try to determine, okay, what was his intent here? Okay, where was his heart in this matter? Okay, so, uh, so the death penalty, it does happen uh, in breaking the Sabbath, but the heart matters, and so... For some of you, that maybe helps. For others, maybe you have more questions. I'd be happy to talk to you after. But it does seem to suggest that this isn't always a death penalty. But that second part in the passage in Isaiah about blessing us for keeping the Sabbath might intrigue us. These blessings are going to reassure our faith and help us to rise above the troubles that life brings. Quite literally, this passage is communicating that we will develop endurance if we keep the Sabbath. I spent last week in class on avoiding burnout, a condition related to one's work life that causes them to become disengaged at work and life and be significantly less productive, and often even comes with depression. Uh, The class sought to address that condition about how to begin developing perseverance and self management. Uh, One of the most surprising things about that class was how modern science seems to only be catching up to what's already laid out in Scripture. It was incredible. The standard thinking is that if you work more, or the more you're willing to work, the more that you will produce, the more that you will gain. The more hours that you can cram in, the more you'll get done. Tech companies, okay, places that we typically think of as places that work hard and you know embody sort of that American spirit of ingenuity and, uh, and hard work. Okay, uh, <clears throat> they are actually starting to recognize that that doesn't work. You actually can't just keep working and going, no matter how great of a place it is, no matter how engaged you are in work. Uh, Because they they, uh, actually started hiring companies to do studies on these things, and these companies presented themselves to take a look at their stuff. And what they determined was, really, once you start working past 50 hours, your productivity, no matter how good you feel about it, starts to dramatically tank. And, like, if you're in the 65-hour range, it's, like, really bad. Like, you might as well not be working at all. Uh, and that's because humans aren't machines. We need to rest. We need to, you know, we need to take some time. Imagine lifting weights or, or doing some workout every single day for hours at a time. You know, eventually your body would start to break down. Well, but lifting weights is how you get stronger, right? Well, yes, but first got to rest. Your muscles need to, to heal up. And that's how they come back stronger. It doesn't just happen in in the work, right? The the actual workout is breaking down uh, your muscles. So uh, rest is a critical piece to any of those workouts. So we need to wake up and recognize that God's commanded Sabbath was for our own good. We need to have a day when we can rest, reset, and renew our faith in Christ. Uh, There are so many benefits I wanted to share with you, but we simply won't have time for all of them. Uh, But very briefly, a few things that really stood out to me simply resting and working normal hours has been proven to increase academic performance over those who take extra time uh, to study it decreases the aggressiveness of mental health uh, diseases so such as alzheimer's it's dramatically slowed the, the more you sleep uh well actually once you sleep more than nine hours it can have a negative effect but uh so you know we need to have proper rest right god said work six days and then on the seventh you rest but Uh, But as long as we're getting sleep, you know, it actually fights back against Alzheimer's. And for those who took all their vacation time versus those who took none of their vacation time, the people who took all their vacation time were actually far more productive than those who didn't. Okay, all of this should, you know, speak to us in some way. Harvard actually has just instituted that all of their freshmen during their orientation week, they have to take a mandatory class on sleep. Because they recognize that people are going to burn out, that if you don't take the time to rest, it doesn't matter how much you study, it's not going to stick. so they they require them to sleep and so uh, and, and actually you are considered sleep deprived if you average six hours a night for just a week, just one week, and then you start showing signs of sleep deprivation. Now, six hours sounds pretty good to a lot of you out there, right that's a that's a full night's rest, you'd say but science would suggest otherwise all the science points towards rest and not overworking for a major factor in having a healthy productive life now i mentioned depression so i do want to say a quick word on that Uh, we believe that because of the sin in the world that some of us will struggle with mental health that can be entirely disconnected from spiritual causes as to say that we believe that people can have depression and, and it's not caused from some sin in their life or anything like that. Uh, you will likely need medication to help sort out some of those chemical imbalances going on. Uh, but I was talking with Dr. David Murray, our uh, professor this last week, and, and he said that we often overlook, though, the physical dimensions as we attempt to sort out the mental, emotional, and spiritual things going on in our lives. Uh, he said that good diet, rest, exercise, etc., It will not cure your depression in most cases, but it almost always lessens the severity of it. So please, see a doctor, get some medical help, but also throw yourself a bone and get some sleep. Eat eat well, uh, exercise. So maybe God knew what he was doing when he told us to rest. The Sabbath sanctifies us and allows us to rest and recenter our minds on Christ. Paul talks in Romans 12 about how transformation comes with the renewing of our mind. What does that mean then? Saints, sometimes the most sanctifying thing that you can do for yourself is to take a nap. Truly, take a nap. You may become holier because of it. Because you are able to focus on Christ in a way that you were not able to before. It should make sense to us. I mean, do we not feel most ready to tackle the day when we've had a good night's rest? We're able to think clear. We're able to stay committed uh, and carry out the things that we have in the day without compromise. I mean, so that should naturally translate then to how we approach this spiritually. You're able to focus on the things that you should be, which will naturally fight the anxiety uh, that we naturally feel about the day. God has given us Uh, so much here in in this rest and as a mouthpiece of god's word today i give you permission to start relaxing and to let go of the things that prevent you from resting in god in christ our last point is that the sabbath is made holy for us it is set apart special it is meant to distinguish us from the people around us and to empower us to carry out god's ability or sorry god's will for our lives As Pastor Eric and I serve in the church, we pray that you would see in us a model of that rest, of biblically proper rest. But as parents and relatives of children, are you modeling rest for them? Do they look to you and see those biblical boundaries that we put on our lives and our busyness? We do this thing where we say it's okay for others to rest, but we don't apply that to ourselves. It's okay for others to take time off, but... Not for me. i gotta, I got to get this done. We're denying ourselves the grace that God wants us to experience. And so we need, to, uh, we need to allow ourselves to do that. Philippians 4 actually says to watch out for the interests of others, but also look after your own interests. Because if you don't, you actually will end up neglecting the gifts that God has given you. Because you're not going to utilize them as well as you could. If you rested, if you looked after yourself. Well, that ties right in with our talk on uh, gifts earlier, so file that away. But I talked earlier about thinking through what our relationship with rest communicates to others. What do our actions on Sundays communicate to our children? If we are so intent on being busy, 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 what will they learn for themselves? When will they make time to refocus on Christ if, if life is going a million miles a minute, as it so often does when we let it? We need to rest, they need to rest, and they need to learn how to rest from us, family members and parents. So we need to model it for them so that they don't grow up um, overworking themselves. And we also need to ask ourselves, seriously, I mean, are we sleeping less than Jesus himself did? I mean, as you go through scripture, there's quite a few instances where we see Jesus napping. Or that, you know, they had to wake him up in the middle of a storm because he was resting. Like, Jesus had the most important task uh, in all of history, and yet he still took time to recuperate, to make sure that he was ready physically for the things that were before him. So as a serial Sabbath breaker, Lord, forgive me so that my children will not grow up to dishonor Sabbath in the ways that I have. May that be your prayer as well, if you have some growing to do in this area. This will also then help help, fulfill us, uh, help us fulfill our duties in the Great Commission. Diana had a pastor who was extremely gifted at soccer and had the opportunity to join a league uh, that was going to prepare him for a spot for the national team, I believe. Uh, something big. And uh, he turned them down. He turned them down because they were going to be gone every Sunday. And he said, I, I need that rest. I need that day of worship with my church family. You know? If we take the Sabbath seriously, people will notice. Certainly her pastor's coach noticed. And as the world struggles on with low energy, frequently incapable to evaluate their own lives, and an anxiety that comes with thinking that everything is in their control and and it is up to them to make sure that everything falls into place, when they look at us goofy Christians, they should see how we trust God with all that. That we're slowing down because we know that God can take it from here. That really he was taking it all along. They should see how we seem to have so much more energy and typically more productive in our careers. Let them see Jesus in us, the master of rest, the one who said for all to come and to lay down their burdens and to take rest in him. Let the gospel of the Sabbath minister to us, our families and the world. We look at uh, verse 18. This is the last bit, I promise. But it says that God gave Moses the tablets, uh, the commandments that were written down. He gave them to him, and uh, and they took them down. He gave them. He gave them both tablets. Now, typically, and this is just a personal pet peeve of mine, uh, so I'm sure some of you will point it out any time you see it. But often you will see a picture of the Ten Commandments, and you will see, you know, one through five on the first half, and then six through ten on the other half. That is actually not how it likely would have been. Uh, it likely the basically as part of something called a suzerain vassal treaty, and eventually uh, the king would keep a copy of this contract, and then the people would take another contract. So if God is giving Moses both copies, what does that mean? It means God says, I'm going to do my part, all right? You can guarantee that. I don't need a copy to look over and make sure I'm I'm meeting my terms, but you're going to need both copies for that. So we need to make sure that we're taking... Uh, all of that properly. God took on everything. He took on the rest that we need. He offers it to us. Let's pray. Father, maker of the heavens and the earth, we thank you for modeling rest for us. We see that you rested each day after your work was done and that you rested at the end of all your creation work. We are grateful that you not only have given us permission to rest in you, but demand it. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Empower us to carry out the work you've assigned us. Help us to trust your purpose for our lives so that we might not neglect the gifts you've given us. Reveal to us, Father, please, the ways in which our giftings are critical pieces to the body of Christ and to faithfully carrying out your will. We ask for forgiveness for the ways in which we see to wrestle control away from you through our works, transform our hearts and melt away our anxieties, our depression, Teach us to rest as Jesus rested, for our benefit and for the world. May we glorify you, testifying to your greatness, to the rest you have so graciously provided. We pray for those unable to rest for various reasons, whether it be physical or mental ailments causing it. We plead that you provide them with your reassuring presence, to strengthen them when everything seems wrong, and for them to get whatever help they may need. Indeed, use us, Father, as you see fit in this ministry. We ask all these things in the precious name of Jesus, the one who gives us eternal rest. Amen.